So Paul. Yes, Brother Dan. <laughs> uh, today's podcast, we're talking about love of neighbor and mm. Catholics uh, who have done great things mm-hmm. uh, for the world and for the local community. So, so I think to kick off this podcast, what is among your most, if not your most, embarrassing moment as you were trying to help someone else? Well, Father, this is an easy one uh, because it's so recent. Oh, you went right away. Like, uh, yeah, recent. Yeah, this is, you were there. Well, you weren't. Th- you were right outside. You were, I think, um, sipping water while we were working uh, I, at the mission trip. Oh, mission trip. Yeah, team mission trip. This oh, team. that's right. Yeah, so we go. I always work better as a Chicago supervisor. Yeah, well hydrated. Well hydrated. Right. Um, Watching the others work. It's hard to give orders if your throat is dry. I know, you can't keep yeah. it parched. I understand. No, we didn't begrudge you. That <laughs> So, dear listener, our job for three days was to paint, to repaint um, a kind of like a halfway house um, through, it was... In Villa Park. In Villa Park, and the organization was Catholic Charities, I think. It was through Catholic Charities of the Diocese of Joliet, yeah. Diocese of Joliet. It was awesome. So we're there with our teenagers, and going into this, Father Dom was terrified, because he had worked... With teenagers. If you've painting. never painted with teenagers, it's not not always the easiest thing. But our teens, they were great. they were great. I mean, you could probably on one hand count the number of drops that spilled off of paintbrushes in three days. Yeah. And Whereas on previous mission trips I'd been on, we had the teens got paint everywhere. They got so, it on furniture, on the on the floor. And let's be honest, it was bad. The <laughs> woman in charge of that home was terrified as well. She was. She, she had no faith in us, and these kids were amazing. Our teens were phenomenal. They were good. And the last day, I'd let them paint my room. Oh, they probably would. I'd let them paint the church. Even they were that good. They were good. So last day, we're there, and we've got oh, maybe thirty minutes left. Saying. Maybe like thirty minutes left, and I go in there, and there is a tight, it's a small room. So I'm there, and like the furniture's piled up. And could I get a little more paint, Mr. Maneric? No problem. So, like an idiot, I decide I'm going to reach over the furniture with the paint bucket and fill the paint tub. And me, the only adult, <laughs> is the only one who spilled like a bucket of paint all over the floor. It was, it added like 30 minutes, and all of my teeth it's okay, it's, and they were comforting me. I was so embarrassed by my <laughs> idiocy and clumsiness, and they were like, it's okay, it's fine, it could have happened to anybody. Like, you know, like, <laughs> the teenagers <laughs> like, comforting sim- their yeah, sympathy. old man oh, chaperone. Oh my gosh. Like, yeah, I, did, I forgot to say, it. this is what happens in old age. Yeah. I was waiting, you just blame it on. waiting for you to pipe in from yeah, out there. Don't was... worry, the old man, he can't hold them. It's the shakes. Yeah, anyway. Um, so that was me. How about you? you I should have. You ever? For me, I, you know, I embarrass myself every day. I should have one. Uh, what's, what's coming to mind, and I don't quite remember the particulars, but when I was in college seminary, one of our, uh, one of my, like, seminarians have to do stuff in parishes a lot, so uh, one year in the college seminary, I had to go to a parish, St. Thomas of Canterbury. Um, so, well, that was part of it, it got merged. Mary well, Mother of God Parish now. Soup Kitchen. Uh, Their Soup Kitchen. Right, with St. Ida and St. Gregory, Gregory the Great. Great. 
Beautiful churches. Yes. So yeah. Thomas of Canterbury has their, their soup kitchen. And so I would go there once a week um, to, to serve at the soup kitchen. Um, and there's a lot of different jobs you can have at the soup kitchen. So that particular night, I was going around with uh, coffee and milk. Um, it's a good to, job to you. give people to drink. Yeah. You just refilled... Micah, I, I, it's, it's not too hard. Not not too hard. But so the milk they had is the powdered milk. Um, mm. And so it's, you, we have to make the milk and then go serve it. And I'd never made powdered milk before. So wait, you, so it's powdered, and, but it becomes a milk-like thing. Yeah, so it's like uh, so it's not like they, powdered lactose. They don't put the powder just directly in their coffee. You have to make milk. No, milk. no. So it was a, it was so I their option. Their options to drinks, to drink at dinner. Yeah. Was a glass of milk or a cup of coffee. Wow. And then they had like creamer packets on the tables was, if you pick coffee. Okay. So I was like, instead of pouring out of a gallon jug of milk, this was a water pitcher of. So you weren't mixing. Milk. The pa the milk stuff. No, it was and, like, okay. All right, you I could understand. drink a glass of milk, which is actually powdered milk, or you could have a cup of coffee. I understand everything. I feel very. There was also a guy walking around with juice, but I only had two hands. Okay. So anyway, I had to make the milk so that I could pour them a glass of milk, and I never made powdered milk before, and so I I made it wrong, <laughs> and. Everyone who were a regular was a regular and enjoyed the milk told me <laughs> that I screwed up the powdered milk. Uh, and like there were clumps of the powder, like I didn't stir it well enough. And the telltale sign. I don't think I put general. enough water in, which I thought I was like, I figured if there's more water, it'll dilute it more. So I figured I put in less water and it'll make it more creamy. But I didn't know like not all the powder would like dissolve. So I'm like, and some of it clumped up. So like, as I'm pouring, then now it looks like curdled milk, and it's just clumps of powder. And many, many of the of the people told me that it it was terrible. Kool-Aid, <laughs> Tang, instant lemonade. I'll just I'll take care of that. From, you you know, take care from now on. Even right. better. I'll make the coffee. I can do that. And I'll spill the paint. I can. Do, and you'll spill the paint. There we go. <laughs> well, anyway, welcome to our podcast. This is Ed Talks. We hope to inspire saints who will inspire saints to build the kingdom of God. Amen. I'm Father Dominic. I'm Paul Manier. And today we're talking about Catholic activism, which is a question we got from one of our listeners, Mallory Sims. Shout out to Mallory. Um, Mallory left it, left it as a generic, open-ended, uh, can you guys talk about this? Mm. And so she suggested uh, Catholic activism, specifically looking at Dorothy Day. So Mallory, I think what you want us to talk about are Catholics like Dorothy Day, who started movements or, or, and or organizations um, that have changed the world, uh, local communities, our own country. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. So let's kick it off with Dorothy Day. Um, yeah. 1933, Dorothy Day and her pal Peter Morin started what's called the Catholic Worker Movement. Um, and it was a way for um, Dorothy Day to not only serve the poor, which is a big part of, of her ministry with Peter Maurin, um, but also they started a newspaper. Um, newspaper you can still buy today for one penny. Um, they're in New York, and I don't, I, I'm sure they 
mail the newspaper out. Um, I've always wanted to subscribe to it, but I haven't yet. Um, but the Catholic Worker paper... It cost too much? Is that what's holding you back? <laughs> I'm not that cheap. <laughs> um, but anyway, the newspaper, you know, Dorothy Day and Peter Marin, when they started the newspaper, was meant to... Um, uh, it was all about the, the war and how we treat laborers and, and unions and all those kind of hot-button topics of the 1930s. Um, they were writing with a very strong Catholic voice, trying to, to show what we as Catholics believe and what uh, human rights uh, are and why we should advocate for human dignity of, of workers, of the poor, of, of everybody, right? Um, and Dorothy Day was a huge communist before she converted to Catholicism. Yeah, don't she, give up on that sentence before Father Dominic finishes. <laughs> yes, yeah, fair enough. Emphasis on the past tense. She, she, was. Is a, she is a Catholic activist. Before her conversion, she was a dirty commie. And she saw the, the error of, of communism um, and the error of her own ways in her big conversion um, to Catholicism. And actually, um, so Dorothy Day came from a wealthy family. And when she told her parents that she wanted to be Catholic and that she felt called to conversion, her parents laughed and they, they said that the Catholic Church, that's where the help pray. Like, that's where poor people go. And that's one of the, the big things that drew Dorothy Day to the church is because she saw the great work the church did on behalf of the poor and the marginalized um, and how Christ himself is the model of love and how Christ cared for and loved, loved the poor. Um, a cool little story that links Dorothy Day to St. Edward. Um, I don't know if I've heard this one. Oh, this, this is great. So they both have a famous story of serving the poor with a ring. Um, this kind of a ring. Ah. So St. Edward, one of his famous stories is that a poor person came up to St. Edward and asked him for money, asked for alms, and Edward had no you know, cash on him, whatever cash was in the Middle Ages. Um, but Edward had his ring on that signified he was a monarch, the king of England. And Edward took off his ring and gave it to the poor person. Dorothy Day, they had a, a woman came to the Catholic worker house. And so the Catholic worker house, um, the, the way that they work, and we, we have at least one in Chicago, if not two. Um, Catholic worker houses are actual like houses. And people can come and they're welcome to stay as long as they need to. So it's not necessarily a, a shelter. Um, it's a home. Uh, the Catholic worker people live there, or at least they take turns living there. And anyone is welcome to come and stay as long as they need to. They don't have to pay rent. They don't have to pay a dime. Um, and they can just stay as, as a place to, to get back on their feet or whatever. So... Dorothy Day obviously lived full-time in the first Catholic worker house, and this woman came and said she wanted to make a donation, and she gave Dorothy Day a, a diamond ring, that, and the woman told her it would be worth a lot of money when you pawn it, um, and then use the money for the work of the Catholic worker movement. And so Dorothy Day took the ring, was very grateful, and she called like the little council of Catholic worker people, and was like, okay, so what should we do with this money, and they're, they're, we need to fix the roof, we need a new refrigerator, we need you know, paint something, or we need more food, and they're all giving Dorothy ideas. And she said, okay, I'll think about it. And then a, a poor person came and told Dorothy her story, um, 
and that she needed some money, and Dorothy Day gave her the ring and said, here's this diamond ring. If you go pawn it, you'll get however much cash you could use that for... I don't remember all the particulars of the story, but that was that's the crux of the story. History doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. See? That's beautiful. Isn't that great? That's cool. And Dorothy Day's people were so upset <laughs> that she gave the ring away when they could have used the cash. But you know, Dorothy went back to Christ. You know, give it away. That's, that's what it's there for, to be given away. The good things that God has given us. Give it away. So I want to, looking back to our last podcast about how how do we love God? There's there's kind of there's we we talked about going to mass and and worshiping God and God deserves our best because He's our Creator, right? Amen. He deserves our best. And so you go into this and, and you go into churches, churches that are done right. You go into a church like Saint Ed's and there's beauty there. You look at the windows and there's beauty. You look on the sanctuary, there's beauty. There's the, the altar. Is, the carving of the Last Supper. You look at the gold leafing on the tabernacle. You look at the rarados and the way that it's, it's carved and it's, it's, its roof. And, and there's, there's beauty. Look up at the beams. Look up the next time you're mm. at St. Ed's and just see the, the beautiful, beautiful painting on each piece of wood that, that makes the rafters of our church. Right? This is beautiful. You go to other famous churches in Chicago. Go to St. Mary of the Angels. Go to St. John Cantius. Go to Go to St. Ida, which is Saint Ida. part of that parish. You should say Gregory the Great. Saint Gregory the Great. Oh, they're awesome. They're all, we're awash with beauty. And one of the constant complaints and criticisms of those, of, of people who want reasons to remain outside of the church is, well, the church, look at all this money. The church really, really loved poor people, really cared about following Christ. They wouldn't have all this lavish stuff. Mm -hmm. And the initial response for everyone who's a Catholic should always be, show me where there's poverty in the world, and I will show you where the Catholic Church is. Amen. And, and that's true with Dorothy Day. It's true with some of the other people we're going to talk about today and some of the great saints throughout the history of the Church. But just because others deserve our best doesn't mean that God doesn't also deserve our best. Uh, the founder of Opus Dei, um, Took that catechism quote to heart in, uh, in starting that movement. Do you want to tell us a little bit about Opus Dei? So Opus Dei, I mean, Opus Dei... As you pretty much did in reading from the catechism. Right, I mean, it basically, if you want to know about the ideals of Opus Dei, read the catechism, read Rerum Novarum, um, yeah. late 19th century papal encyclical um, that talks about all of the, like, the what do we do with the Industrial Revolution? It never happened before. People, because on this, this radical scale of of mechanization, humans do also become, it's, an, it's the flip side of communism, right? This idea where they're also just cogs in a wheel. There's an economic cog in a big wheel that's turning. Um, and so how do, how do Catholics, how do we wrestle with these big issues of, of work and dignity? And how do the two meet in a way that will enhance human dignity, not demote it or demean it? And I think that Raymond Navarum starts that conversation in a powerful way. The catechism, like I said, 2426 to 2436, read it. It's awesome. It's, it's two and a half pages. It's really easy to read. Or, as Father Dominic likes to say, you can go to the in brief, in brief. In brief section at the end um, and, and get the, the Cliff's Notes. But so, Opus A, we have, um, we have a parishioner here who, so Opus A works with young people to elevate them, to elevate their dignity. Um, they run schools. They promote lay people to actively transform the things that we do, the work that we do on earth into 
acts of love and charity constantly to kind of Christify our work. So it's a beautiful thing. That's and and it's it's not it's not new to Opus Dei, but I think it's it's articulated most clearly by San Jose, Jose Maria Escobar yeah. and the Opus Dei folks. But they're not the only ones doing work. A no, they're us, not. A lot of us were alive when another great saint started another global movement, uh, helping working for poor, sick people. And Who this, we also celebrate today. That's today right. is her feast today day. Today is her feast day. Not Labor um, Day, but September 5th. Yeah. Uh, Saint Teresa of Calcutta, famously Mother Teresa, um, who, again, felt a, a call within her call, right? She always felt called to religious life and uh, left her original religious order because she wanted to go to the poorest of the poor, and on visiting Calcutta, India, she found the poorest of the poor and so started her own religious community um, to serve them. And it grew from there, uh, from her tiny little original group of sisters to serve the poorest of the poor in India uh, to worldwide movement. They have a house here in Chicago and all over the United States, all over the world, um, continuing to reach out to the poor. They, The sisters beg for their own money and sustenance they don't have um (laughs) they don't have investments anywhere um they they beg from the community to feed themselves after they've begged to feed the poor um so again it's that 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 catholic activism as as mallory asked for us to talk about is is just loving it's to to will the good of the other as other and i think the one thing to remember and this maybe goes to the heart of what mallory wants to to kind of wrestle with, and what we all do, I think, as as practicing Christians, as, as believing Catholics, is, okay, I'm not going to be Mother Teresa. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be Dorothy Day. I'm not going to be Jose Maria Escrival. What do I, where's my role? And I think that's where, if you look at these messages, like, the idea of, like, activism just means take action for the good of others. Start small. Start local. Start in your own home. Well, and that's what they home. all did. I mean, exactly. Dorothy Day began uh, just by seeing that there were poor people who needed help, and she helped them. Um, yeah, even if, thank God, that Dorothy had the courage to, to start the Catholic Worker Movement, but like she didn't just wake up one morning and go, hey, I'm going to open up a house and let people sleep there. <laughs> you know, She saw a need, and she eventually filled it, but it began with just seeing Christ in the poor and helping them. Um, Mother Teresa saw Christ in the poorest of the poor, wanted to help them, right? Um, we had a, a priest at, in the seminary um, who ran Catholic Charities here in Chicago for a long time. And when he was he was teaching us about St. Vincent de Paul Societies, which we have here at St. Edward, and our St. Vincent de Paul does a lot of great work with uh, people who need help with groceries and medicine and paying bills um, and rent here in our own community. Um, and Catholic Charities does a lot for, for families in the Archdiocese of Chicago. Um, but as he was talking to us, and, and he, we were asking him, like, what, as parish priests, what can we do? Like, how do we start a St. Vincent de Paul if my parish doesn't have one? Or mm-hmm. how do we, you know, get people to Catholic Charities or raise mm-hmm. money or start food pantries? And he's like, really, like, the first thing you should do is just put on a pot of coffee Unlock the church hall doors and just tell people they can come in and and sit there. And by the way, dear listener, we do have a St. Vincent de Paul Society. They're very mm-hmm. low-key. That's kind of the idea is they don't want to take credit. 
if you ever have something or specifically, especially money, but us, they love gift grocery, cards. grocery store gift cards, if you ever want to do that, we will make sure they find their way to the St. Vincent de Paul Society and our, our good folks who, who lead it here at the parish. Again, they prefer do anonymity. Yeah. They they get calls, they field calls, we get calls at our in the office mm-hmm. and we can direct this help to them. So it's cuz so it there's is, a way for you to help. Don't donate some gift cards to Aldi and Jewel and Yeah. And it's it's hard, right? It is a difficult thing to as a as a parent. It's a difficult thing to carve out time and be like I'm going to, you know, go and serve the poor. It is hard. So sometimes for us maybe in this moment our call is to serve the poor in our own home, right? Our kids can't feed themselves. Our kids can't clothe themselves. I mean, they can do an okay job, but uh, <laughs> depends on where you're at. But, you know, serve them first, but then you can you can share your treasure in a way that will allow those who do have that time, that do have that flexibility. That's a, that's a way to do it. And, and do it with joy. Talk to your kids about it. Show them. Amen. Hey, guys, we're going to do this. We're going to do this together. And where should we go? What store should we get a gift card for some for for a family who really is going to need it in this next month, and we're going to give it together. You know, see, let's show them. Put it in the the collection basket and be like, you know, for the Vincent de Paul say, let them put it in the collection yeah. basket. Talk to talk to them about it. These are the ways that you can live these acts of charity, these acts of love, in a way that maybe it's not as heroic on the big scale as Dorothy Day and on the big scale as Mother Teresa, but it's heroic nonetheless. Amen. And it is powerful, especially to witness that. For your kids. Uh, the last group I wanted us to, to just touch on is the Knights of Columbus, started by Venerable Michael McGivney, Father Michael McGivney. Um, and this, a small way too. So in, at, at the, the start of the Knights of Columbus, you know, they're, they're more than just running bingo nights at St. Ed's and doing their Tootsie Roll dry for the spread group. Um, when the Knights of Columbus started with Father McGivney, uh, it was at a time when women weren't working yet and their husbands were dying and these widows were and their children were basically becoming homeless very quickly. Um, and so Father McGivney got together a group of men in the parish and they took up a collection uh, once a month and all of that money went to recent widows so that they could stay on their feet until they were able to find a job or get moved to live with family who could support them and take care of them since their husband had died. And that group of men taking up that collection once a month grew and they called themselves the Knights of Columbus. And now they're a, a more or less a, a, an American, both in, the, in North and South America organization. They're obviously, obviously heavily present here in the United States. Um, but it just began with a group of guys seeing a need and they filled it as simply as they could by just helping the, the recent widows in their parish. And then that slowly grew over time to, you know, the worldwide organization, the big organization they are today of the Knights of Columbus. Yeah, you don't need to go out and do anything huge. To and do- it would have been fine if it stayed in their little parish in right. Maryland where it began. Yeah. It's good that it grew. But Absolutely. if it just stayed there, that would have been fine. You don't need to have a novel written about you or a newspaper article even written about you. God sees you. He knows what you're doing in secret. It's not about us at the end of the day. It's not. It's not about us. And if it is, then you're not doing it right. We're not doing it right. So anyway, go out, do good things. Good work. Ah. This was awesome. We uh, showed I couldn't count. We (laughs) talked about some great saints and soon to be saints. God, I hope uh, Dorothy Day, please, Lord, 
let's canonize Dorothy Day soon and Peter Marin, um, and even Father McGivney. Um, that'd be awesome. 